Broadcasting live from the offices of policebackground.net. This is the Police Applicant Podcast with your host, Ken Royball. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Police Applicant Podcast. This is episode 53. And a big, big Christmassy welcome to my ever-present co-host, Minerva. Yes, I'm so excited today. Well, it's, I'm excited because I'm on vacation, no work, vacation. and I'm here. It's our last episode of the year. That's right. And I'm super excited to talk to our guest today. And we have uh, we are recording for for folks that don't know. Well, who would know? I mean, if you don't know, uh, <laughs> now the, you know. <laughs> this is two days before Christmas, 2022, and uh, season three is coming up in January. And we are we are smoking in the uh, in the uh, ratings and all that kind. Of, we're doing pretty good for our podcast. We've got uh, yes. quite a few. And I just want to remind people, uh, you know, I talked to Steve Gould from Things Police See podcast. If you're not listening to Things Police Pod- See podcast, you're missing a bunch of uh, true life um, uh, police stories. Steve war Gould, stories, yeah. yeah, war stories. Uh, Things Police See podcast. But he said that uh, he every single episode. He says, rate us, rate us, because the reason he says that and the reason I'm letting people know to rate us on Apple Podcasts is because that is how you may have found us or other people find us too. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you give us five stars, it, the, the what do they call that, Al- algorithms, they somehow right. do their magic and then we show up. And our guest today said that she found us by Googling police applicants and we came up. And uh, the way that happens is by people rating us. So if you could, I know Minerva, I tell people this, like <laughs> rate us. And it, you know what? But we also get new listeners too. Yeah. And it's always nice to hear from our new listeners and how this podcast is impacting them in their process. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people that are getting a lot out of the podcast. We'll get, I'll get emails and things and, and all that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And we really appreciate it. Uh, but if you could, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll be saying this again into 2023. Rate us, <laughs> give us five stars and extra bonus points. Remember, if you leave an actual written review about us, that helps a lot. I cannot tell you how much it helps by people being able to find this podcast. And I think I was contacted uh, either one or two people this week that said that uh, they were thankful for the podcast because they just passed, the, you know, this. Uh, oh, I know what it was. Uh, uh, the episode um, on, they said September, one of our September episodes. I can't remember what it is, but they, they listened to it like two or three times and they they passed whatever portion of the background that they did because they listened to that episode and they got tips from it and they passed their background. So That's great. Yeah, and so that's the kind of stuff we're doing. Also... Um, a really cool hidden feature on the podcast is uh, depending, I don't know, oh, on uh, Spotify. If you're listening on Spotify, did you know you could leave us messages? You could leave us voicemails uh, on Spotify. Oh. So I got a message the other day from a, a candidate who listens to the podcast, and she felt that she had a story that she wants to tell on the podcast. So I listened to it. Um, I can't I can't play the the, the uh, information because there's private information on it. But Alina, Alina, we got mm-hmm. your message. 
contact me, Ken, at policebackground.net, because the message system, unless you leave your information, all it is is a voicemail. There's no contact information. So, Alina, I got your message. Get a hold of me, and we will contact you. And let's find out if uh, we're a good fit for the podcast for one of the episodes for, for next year. With that, with that, Wait, Mira, I want to say something. Say something. Because I'm noticing, like, our last guest was a female police officer, sworn officer. We Our guest today is a female. The person you just mentioned who left the message is a female. Mm-hmm. And earlier this week, yeah, <laughs> earlier this week, you send me some numbers that indicate that our female listeners has gone up from 3% about last October mm-hmm. to 16%. So 16%. I am so happy. I, I am so happy to know that our numbers, our female listeners numbers is going up. Yeah. And, and I told, uh, when I told Minerva this, I was saying police departments should hire us because we're, we're, <laughs> uh, um, making better, uh, better strides in, uh, reaching females for police departments than they are. So we yes. should, if you're a police department and you need to know how to reach female candidates, you get a hold of us. And we will be glad yep. to help you. I don't know what we're doing. We're just doing a podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but to go from 3% to 16% listening, that's a lot. That is a lot. That is a lot. That is a lot. I'm happy. And, you know, we want to help everybody, regardless of what your gender is, right? But, you know, one of the things that is obviously dear to me as a former female cop is to have more women out there. You are needed. You can do this job. So any way we can help, any topics you want to discuss, uh, email me. Uh, Ken can put my email, my podcast email address on the the notes so you guys can email me or email him and he'll get it. He'll send it, forward it to me. Yeah. And I get confused because, uh, because Minerva has two Instagram accounts and she's got two email accounts that I have. And I'm going, am I sending yeah. this to the right one? I don't know. So, um, <laughs> but moving it's forward. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, so <clears throat> also, if you are a candidate and you feel like you have a story to tell uh, as part of your experience, we have a, I, I, I kind of, I kind of got into this thing where when I, when I do candidate uh, um, episodes, I call it so-and-so's journey. And I just kind of latched onto that. And now every time a candidate comes on, it's so-and-so's journey. So if you have a journey that you want to tell us about or you want other people to know about what you did and how you overcame it or what you're doing to to uh, uh, get on the job or, or for your application process, get a hold of me. What email should they email? Ken at policebackground.net. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. So, um uh, get a hold of us, and we'll put you on the show and and tell everybody what your story is and anything to help candidates, right, Minerva? That's what we're here for. Yes, that <clears> is <throat> exactly why we're here. So, on to the podcast episode. Uh, this this um, guest, Joanna, is uh, just really cool people. She's just so cool. I spoke to her. <laughs> she got a hold of us, and... Um, she got a hold of me and said, hey, can I get a hold of Minerva? I've got some stuff I want to talk to Minerva about. And I said, sure. So you guys mm-hmm. emailed back and forth. But this is, right. this, is how, um, this is how this stuff happens, is that 
is that our listeners will email me. They'll they'll say this. I'll start and I'll say, yeah, let me uh, let me answer your question. I'll give you a call. We'll get a hold of Minerva, whatever it is that that the uh, uh, that the request is. And then by the time we get done there, I'm like, you should be on the podcast. You're you'd be awesome for for everybody to hear your story. So Joanna, we want to welcome you to the podcast. We're very excited to have you here. Thank you, Mr. Rorel. Hi, Minerva. How are you doing? Hi, good. I'm excited to have you. And, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Uh, Joanna is talking. You might hear a little bit of an East Coasty accent. And you're talking to us from where? Uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. So well, not I'm, only is she from the East Coast, but she's a Boricua, right? Yeah, I'm a Boricua. That's yeah. correct. And what does that mean? She's Puerto Rican. Puerto That's what Rican. they call them. I did not yeah. know. Yeah. So you learn something every day. <laughs> um, so what we want to talk about, <clears throat> you know, this, this, I can't blame it on the winter weather, this throat thing, the cough, not yeah. the coughing, <clears throat> the, um, because it happens in the summer too. So <laughs> I don't know what to say, <laughs> but um, so what we want to talk about is your story and I think it. I think it's a. I think it's a good story for for other candidates uh, to hear, because you you've not had it easy. And there's so many candidates. Minerva and I uh, know about this. Is there's so many of you out there that uh, something has happened to you in your past, or or you know things that you weren't responsible for? And we get the questions all the time. Hey, this happened to me. Uh, it wasn't my fault. I wasn't responsible. My parents. Uh, something else happened. I was a victim of something. And there's so much fear that that's going to affect their background. And uh, Joanna's story today is to tell you, you may identify with some of the things or, or uh, some other issues in your background. And we're here to tell you through her story that it's not your fault and it should not affect your background. So, um, so Joanna, let's find out about you. Uh, some of the, some of the, um, some of your background, where you grew up, where you went to school, your work experience, and um, how did you decide at some point that you want to be a police officer? Well, first, I want to say thank you. I'm excited to be here today and share a little bit of my story with all of you guys. Um, I was born in New York. My family moved to Puerto Rico when I was about nine months. And uh, I lived in Puerto Rico until I was 21 years old. I'm about to be 31. So I've been living in Pennsylvania roughly about nine years. Uh, I went to school in Puerto Rico, did all the nine yards out there, went to college, started going to college for criminal justice, did not finish. Um, and that's when uh, I came into one of many of these uh, big rocks in my path, right? Mm -hmm. um, at some point I decided to share with my grandparents who were the responsibles for uh, raising me and my brother. I was raised by my grandparents, maternal grandparents. And I decided to share my uh, sexuality with them, right? So I let them know and I got kicked out of my house. Uh, kicked out of my house, it was, the vehicle was taken away from me, so therefore I couldn't go to college, right? Mm -hmm. um, had to find a temporary place to live in, which was very far from what my college was. And it just couldn't, I couldn't finish it. So 
I was about a year short before finishing my bachelor's degree. And uh, that ended up there, right? Um, during that course, after that, I lost the job that I had, customer service. I worked for a big chain of hotels in the San Juan area. Uh, that was a month after I got kicked out of my house. I got uh, terminated. So it was like a lot of bad things going on at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Usually when you're going through something, it's all at once. And then you see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Right. Uh, so that happened. But I kind of like went ahead a little bit. Let me go back to when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in, uh, like I said, with my grandparents. At the age of five, I came across a big, big, big trauma. I was abused by uh, an uncle, sexually abused by an uncle, who was taking care of me for what I remember, right? There's some memories here and there that I come. Um, when I was 14, I was abused again and molested by another uncle. And uh, those were part of the beginning of what was going to be a rough journey, right? To be able to conquer what I want for myself in life. Um, after, fast forward to college years, uh, couldn't finish that. Then I came across the opportunity to move to the States with my father, to whom I met when I was eight years old because he... He had been a felon uh, back in the 90s. He he was working with drugs and things like that, so he had to do some time. And after that, I came. I came moved to Pennsylvania, tried to continue to go to college, and just couldn't do it. There was a lot of uh, language barriers for me, comprehension levels. I was just not there. So I went straight to work. And in one of those uh, work days, I came across an officer and I just shared, I said, hey, you know, I always wanted to be a cop. And he's like, oh, really? Why? And I said, well, while I was growing up, I grew up in a family where I had a lot of uh, family members that were either involved with drugs, using it or selling it. Uh, my environment wasn't the most educated one, right? So there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of uh, drugs, alcohols, and all those type of uh, bad things, correct? And uh, now as an adult, I can understand that it has a lot to do with culture, right? Um, unfortunately. Um, but I think my first, my first moment that I learned that I wanted to be a cop was when I was witnessing that my grandma was being abused by my uncles, right? Uh, as they were using their drugs and I wanted to protect her. I wanted to protect her from them. Uh, it was hard obviously to see her go through all those emotions and, and being emotionally abused by her kids. And I just wanted to protect her. So the only thing that I knew was call 911, right? So I would call 911 and the cops will show up and I will see, um, their presence and how they will handle things. And I said, Oh wait, this works. And I said, well, if this is the way I can protect my grandma, then this is what I want to be. And I think that was the moment when I fell in love with, I want to be a cop. Wow. Okay. First of all, Joanna, I want to say, um, 
thank you for having the courage to share that information with us and our listeners, because it's a lot, right? You've, you went through a lot from a very young age and it takes a lot to be able to open yourself up and share something so personal with everybody. So thank you for that. And I'm sorry that you've went, gone through that. You know, no child should have to go through some of that things. And unfortunately it happens. Um, but, um, but I'm glad that you saw the officers as kind of like your heroes, right? You know, for you and your grandma. And, um, you know, so, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. It's my pleasure to uh, be here and, and share my story and, you know, encourage other people to talk about it. That's what actually made me uh, feel better, comfortable. I always express it as a, this is a one, right, that I have in my body, in my soul, in my mind, in my heart. Mm -hmm. And it won't hurt unless somebody pokes it in a very bad way, right? right. But as far as I, I look at myself, it's like I can see my wounds and I'd be like, you know what? This is part of my life. And I can share, uh, I can share it now in a freely way because, right, I've been through, through a pathway of, of healing, right? where it's easier for me now to share it, but most definitely it was not easy. Um, and, uh, but just encourage people, just talk about it, get it out, get it out. And I promise you, you'll feel better every single day that you walk uh, forward to being comfortable with, with, with what happened to you. Right. Cause there's nothing that we can do or anybody could do to change that. Right. Yeah, Minerva and I have spoken to hundreds of candidates. And, you know, we get the stories, Minerva. We get the inside yeah. stuff that that maybe nobody in their the candidates' immediate families know. We get some right. some some really super, super private information. And we um it's really uh, a big deal to us that candidates not only are they required to share certain information but that the the um the confidentiality that your background investigator has to have with some information is paramount to the trust right. you have with your background I carry secrets from decades <laughs> of background investigations that I will never tell anybody um and so it's important first off I want to mention that we're not we're not even to the depth of this of this interview yet but it's important right. to mention that, um, I don't know, Minerva, let me ask you about this. Mm -hmm. There have been candidates that have called me and they're, you know, they're people that know me from policebackground.net or from the, from, um, just having knowing them in the past. And they go, Hey, Ken, I, I talked to this one background of this. I, I, I just don't feel comfortable with them. Right. You know. Yeah. And there's stuff that you have to tell. What's your take on that? If a if a candidate says, "I I, I just not feeling comfortable with sharing this secret information," I think that that's at that point the investigator should be proactive in you know especially. So I've been in situations where I've been called into an interview because it was a male investigator interviewing a female candidate. And touches such you know issues such as you know some of the things that Joanna has gone through have come up, and they're just not comfortable talking to the candidate is not comfortable talking to a male investigator, and I've been pulled into the investigation, and I asked 
you know, do you, are you still okay with him staying in or do you want me to take over? But it's also imperative that the investigator realize this is happening and that Canada is not comfortable Mm -hmm. with speaking, right? Like you have to be aware that your candidate is not, you know, you you could tell by people's body language, um, their ability not to fully share that information. So I think, and anybody here, if you are, have ever come across something that is uncomfortable, let your investigator know. Let them know I'm really not comfortable speaking to you about this because whatever reason, if you want, if it's a male investigator, you're a female, you want a female investigator, let that investigator know. If you're a male speaking to a female investigator, but you want a male investigator to come in, let her know. Cause I've had that situation too, where I was investigating a, a male candidate. Some issues had come up, you know, regarding sexual stuff. And I had to call in a male investigator because I wanted him to feel more comfortable. And then I even asked the candidate, like, are you okay with me staying and continuing on with this interview? Or do you want him to take over this part of the interview? You know, and he was okay with it. The candidate was okay with it, but I wanted a male investigator in there to make him feel more comfortable as well. You know, but always, always let your investigator know. Yeah, and this this normally happens with females, but it happens with male yeah. candidates too, is that if you don't feel comfortable with your background investigator, and it's not to say anything about that background investigator, but sometimes you're just you know, you mm-hmm. didn't you didn't gel or you just don't have the trust level that you want to share with somebody. Um and and it's just important that you're comfortable in sharing this information. The background investigation is the most intrusive thing yes. that you'll probably go through in your life. I mean, they ask you everything about everything. So that's why it's important that, that Joanne is here and we can talk about those things. I think this is an important subject for our candidates to know uh, because a lot of candidates, they just really fret. If I have to Mm -hmm. go and I, I was sexually abused when I was young or there was domestic violence in my home when Mm -hmm. I was a kid or the police came to my house. I mean, because a lot of times the candidates, and we're not psychologists here. Don't 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 get no, us wrong. We're not. <laughs> don't get us wrong in that sense. But we know we have enough information in dealing with candidates that a lot of candidates things have happened. You know, if the police were called to your your house because of your parents or your brothers or sister or or somebody's on drugs in your family or like Joanna, somebody went to prison, uh, and it's embarrassing to the candidate. Mm-hmm. Even though they didn't, that's not their fault, right. and so, <clears throat> so um, that's a burden that you should not have to carry as a police candidate. And we're letting you know today through this interview that it's not none of this is your fault. You have to tell it. And a lot of folks they go, "My dad, like Joanna, my dad went to prison for for drugs," and mm-hmm. they think they think they're saying, "I went to prison for drugs," yeah. <clears throat> and it's not, you know. It's not you. And for some reason, candidates and Joanna, I maybe you can help me with this because I'm not because I a background investigator go, don't worry. Now that's your dad. That's not that's not you. Don't worry about it. But why do candidates why do you think candidates have that burden? Like if I say something, they're gonna judge me. Well, you know, I think the first thing is uh, essentially 
children represents what their parents taught them, right? right. Uh, at least that's the first thing that comes into my mind. You know, uh, I can proudly say that I'm, I'm the woman that I am today because of what my grandma, you know, taught me, right? Um, but a, a lot of people don't know the story behind individuals, correct? So mm-hmm. me saying oh, my mother or my father, um, they'll be like, okay, so I, the way I thought as an applicant is like, well, I'm going to be involved in that, you know, because essentially I represent with my parents are. Right. How can I avoid that? Now, I'm being naive in a way because remember, I'm an applicant. I don't know the mm-hmm. other side of the desk, right? I don't know if my background investigator, it's considering, you know, what is he thinking? What What is he thinking when we talk? Um, how can he not involve me in it? I'm not saying that they will, but me as an applicant, I'm like, okay, will my background investigator associate me with these type of uh, behaviors, right? And, right? and things of that nature. And, um, you know, going back into uh, what you were saying, Mr. Rorabella, about uh, sharing, right? I want people to know, 31 years old, this happened, the first instance happened when I was five. So we're talking about 26 years ago. Till this day, my mother does not know what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with who am I talking or, or who I want to talk to, right? Because to, to be able to share your story, you need to be share, You need to be comfortable with yourself, right? So I'm at that point where I'm comfortable with myself. However, I do not think that my mother is capable of understanding my level of acceptance to mm-hmm. begin with and where I am with it. And the other thing is that I, I can't sugarcoat, you know, I want to take care of my mother's mental health as well as my grandmother. Essentially, you know, it was my grandmother's sons who did this damage to me. And, and, and it's inevitable for me to think like, wow, I'm going to harm my old lady, right? Um, how can I avoid that? Am I going to fix something? with saying this and 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 this is a big disclosure i'm not saying don't say it don't speak i'm talking mm-hmm. for myself right um i i in myself I, I came in peace with my trauma um i'm comfortable where i'm at i've shared it with people that i think are going to be understanding of my situation but you cannot you cannot open up to people that were not uh, be understanding to you. And instead of maybe giving you a hug, they're going to start questioning you about things that you just, you already closed that chapter, right? So you yeah. don't want to go back to it. One mm-hmm. thing is you being comfortable with sharing. And another thing is like, Oh, but why didn't you say so? I mean, we all yes. know you're a kid, you're being manipulated. You're, you're scared, right? I was told so many things that it just scared me. And, and, you know, that also brought a lot of doubts from me towards my, my mother, right? Because uh, I recall the first instance, I remember what I had, what, what I was wearing, you know, and at the point, everything was so graphic, right? I, my pants were bloody. And I was told to say that I harmed myself riding my bicycle. And I recall going to the, my, my mother took me to the hospital. 
And as a grown woman, Miss Minerva, you you know, when you go to mm-hmm. the doctor, they will they know what happened, right? Right. So that comes into my mind and you know, and I can't help to think was well, was my mother informed? Did my mother know about it and just didn't want to say anything? So Yeah. There's a lot of factors. Yeah, and right. there's a, other factors. So um I could say that in the Latino culture, because I'm a Latina. Um, there have been many times where victims have spoken up, but they're not believed or the victim is blamed for acting or dressing a certain way. And, um, you know, Joanna, I went through that in my own family because I myself was also sexually molested by an uncle, my mother's brother who lived with us. And I remember when I said that, and this is my first time sharing this with anybody. Ken did not know this either. Um, So I remember, and this is, I was already a police officer. I think when you go as a child, when you go through trauma like that, you kind of, for me, I don't know how, I can't speak for everybody else, but for me, it was something that I tucked away so far back that, you know, I just, it, it didn't really come up. You know, but I remember the fear. I remember exactly. It's it's a vivid. You have a vivid recollection of how you felt at the time that you were being molested. I will never forget that. I can hear the voice specifically how it sounded in my ear. I know what that's like. And for me, what triggered all these memories was when I got pregnant with my first child, who was a daughter. It was like all of a sudden this fear that the same would happen to her is what triggered all these feelings and everything to come out. By then I was already a police officer. And I remember telling my mother and she luckily believed me, but I remember my grandmother who I was very close to calling me and telling me, oh, well, he said he was only tickling you. And my mind is like, why is he touching me to begin with? Like, why is he tickling me when I'm asleep? You know, and she was like, well, you know, she had all these like she was in so denial because this is her son. Right. And it got to the point that I told my grandmother who, you know, I love my grandmother, but this is something that I still hold against her. I basically told her you are not there. You don't get to have an opinion. You know, and I just left it at that. And but I had to go through many years of therapy for it. It didn't affect me at work, but I do know that when I was asked to work the assaults unit and I knew that they were going to do a lot with sexual abuse victims, I just chose not to. I didn't want to put myself in that situation, Mm -hmm. you know, but it didn't affect me in as a patrol officer conducting investigations. And I had to learn, uh, you know, I had to go through training, but I had to learn to not physically strangle suspects Mm -hmm. and tell myself inside internally be like, I want to strangle this mother effer, (laughs) but that's not going to do any justice for the victim. And I had to play along in this game that some of these suspects play. like, it's okay. You made a mistake. You know, you made a mistake, but what, you know, tell me like what led you to do this? And that, and that was only my way of getting some type of information from the suspect directly. 
you know, but I hated it internally. I wanted to strangle the guy. <laughs> and I'm sure many officers who probably were never victims feel the same way, but it's a little different when you yourself have been a victim and, you know, you know how much that affects your life. So there are a lot of factors that come in that, you know, there are a lot of cultural factors and you're right. Sometimes you cannot tell your family members because they're not mentally in a place to accept. And unfortunately, I've seen this so much in the Latino and black community um, because a lot of the victims that I've, you know, and even Asian community, um, the, the victims that I've had to or the cases that I've had to investigate as a patrol officer were primarily Latino, Black, or Asian. So that's all I can talk about in my experience. But um, yeah, there's a lot. There are so many factors that come into this. Well, let me let me ask you a question. This brings up a very good, a very big issue. And Minerva, I'm going to put you on the hot seat on this one, is that um, so you get a candidate that has something that their parent doesn't know about and they don't necessarily want to open up that can of worms again. And mm-hmm. so now they, this, <clears throat> and it doesn't really affect the background. What if a candidate like Joanna says something happened uh, to me and my parent didn't know about, it, or my parents didn't know about it. Um, I really don't, I, I don't want to have that opened up again and it doesn't affect the background. What, what's your response to someone who says, I don't, I don't, I don't, my parents don't know about this and I don't want them to know. Yeah. First of all, uh, there's a confidentiality thing. Your investigator is not going to go to your parents and say, Hey, did you know your kid went through this, you know, or your child went through this? First of all, all candidates are grownups. There's no reason for an investigator to go to a parent or, or any family member or anybody for that matter and say, Hey, did you know this person? And it's not our job to be gossipers. It is our job to retain that information in confidence, right? It's confidential information. So that fear, please, uh, I know it's easier said than done, but don't worry about that. I, I can't think of any investigator who would do that to a candidate. And let me also add to it, because uh, it's important, is that um, anything that you do, uh, this is specific to the type of um uh, trauma and things like that that you had to go to counseling for or something like that, that's medical. And your mm-hmm. background investigator has no business asking you about anything to do with medical. What did the doctor say when you went, you know, when you talked, did, have you been, do you have, yeah. did, did it get fixed now? It's got none of the background investigators business, anything medical. Yeah, that's all covered under ADA rules. And if you ever come across something like that, you ask to speak to their supervisor because yeah. they are not supposed to be asking those questions. Those are questions that, however, may come up when you go through the psychological exam. Yeah, and that's that's important. We want to touch on that in a, in a little later part. But uh, Minerva and I were talking about this also, Joanna, about there's the the place where the majority of these things are going to take place is uh is going to be in the psych interview um Mm -hmm. so if anybody thinks that oh i'm going to have problems with my background because this that or the other thing in my past a lot of the issues that you may be dealing with have to do with psych not your background Mm -hmm. and so um joanna i want to find out we just Yes. Really quick, Ken. But that doesn't mean that some of it will not be disclosed during the background process. Correct. 
some of that will be disclosed because you will be asked, like, have you ever associated with the felon or, you know, some questions like that will come up and be honest about it. Yeah. Or have you ever been spoken to by the police, either as a victim, a suspect or a witness? Or so have the police come- ever come to your house for yeah. any reason? Yeah. yeah. So those are going to come up in those questions. Um, and uh, Joanna, let's find out. Um, now, you've applied through for uh, to police agencies in the past. Uh, you had some hurdles. And um, so tell us about the agencies, the types of agencies. We don't need cities or, or anything like that. But what made you pick the departments that you applied with initially? I wanted to work in a big city, Mr. Orwell. I needed some action. I wanted, uh, you know, I come from a very rural area in Pennsylvania, small agencies. Um, I, I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to work for a big agency, right? And I applied to the closest city to where I was, to where I live. That's about 50 miles away from where I am. And uh, and like I said before, I came across this customer. She was a sergeant in that uh, agency. And we talked and she said, hey, you know, we're hiring. You're a woman. We need women. You're bilingual. That will come in handy extremely. <laughs> uh, it will be extremely good for us. And um, he, she said, and, and you want to be a cop. So why don't you come? So I started that back in 2015. Excuse me. And uh, I went through the whole process, um, did the background, polygraph, interview, came across the uh, psychological evaluation. Um, at this time, when I was applying, I had no idea that whatever I went through as a kid was affecting me, right? I've always... Uh, I've always uh, taken it as this is just who I am and this is my attitude, right? But I later learned that the majority of my um, attitudes and, and, and the ways that I was acting, uh, it, it, was, it was the definition or it was just how my mind was expressing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time angry. I spent a lot of time irritated, things like that. So I went to the psych evaluation. And as I, I'm meeting with this uh, gentleman, we talk a little bit about um, the the test that you have to take. He's like, oh, you know, uh, your levels of anxiety are pretty high, right? And I'm thinking to myself, Ms. Minerva and Mr. Roy <laughs> I'm like, of course, this is like a whole process that it gets you anxious, right? This is this is the job you want to perform. Um, you're like steps away from your dream career and you don't expect me to be anxious about it, right? That's me thinking, of course, I'm going to be anxious. Long story short, I was not selected in that round in 2015. Um, and And then after that, I say, you know what? This is just what my life is going to be. You know, I'm, I'm going to be a bum. I said it just like that. Mm -hmm. I said, I grew up in a family where, you know, there's drugs, this and that, then I, maybe I'm just meant to be like that too. So I gave up on my dream. I said, I'm not going to do it anymore. I had applied to two agencies at the time, the big agency 
in a small agency here in the area where I live. The small agency didn't went too far. Uh, they gave me a time. I showed up in another. They closed the door, said, sorry, not sorry. Mm-hmm. Come another time. And that was the end of it until now back in 2022. Um, but, you know, going back to the psych evaluation where I did not understood that that made me seek for the help that I didn't know I needed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was obviously bringing me issues in my marriage. Um, communication was not there. And I started going to therapy and, you know, my therapist was like, tell me about you. Tell me about you. We talk, talk about it. Ended up telling me that I'm suffering PTSD from my child trauma. Mm-hmm. And then I understood, okay, I was not being treated back then. This can explain the reason why this did not happen back then. And, you know, as I am currently um, in the process for agencies, it's still my fear, right? I can't say I'm not, I'm not scared, right? I'm scared because this is the job that I want. And I thought about it multiple times. Should I do it? Maybe I'm not able to do this job. Maybe all these traumas that happened to me are not good. Maybe they don't want people like that, you know? So as an applicant, I don't, I'm not in the field. I, I'm not a cop, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm not picturing myself like, hey, there's cops that have dealt with this before. Right. Uh, their jobs might come easier because they can share their stories with um with with victims and things like that so that that was part of what happened to me in the first time now as as i continue to be in the process you know i'm optimistic i definitely feel a lot better than what i was before uh, mentally um and here i am you know just going at it again see what happens i'm glad that you haven't given up but i'm also i'm more happy that you got the mental health that you realize you need it. And, you know, we talk about mental health on this podcast a lot. And there are a lot of people out there who have traumas that they haven't dealt with. Mm-hmm. And I, too, went to therapy for many years. Uh, still go back every once in a while when things get a little heavier for me. Uh, not, not, not so much to deal with that, with the sexual abuse. I dealt with that many years ago. Um, but um, I, I highly recommend to have an open mind and to really go and seek therapy if you need, if you feel you need it. And there are issues in your background that you need to deal with, but it's so important to find a therapist that you could really um, communicate with, because if you don't communicate, then it's kind of pointless. Honestly, if you can't open up, if you don't have a good report with that therapist. So you, you, Joanna, you were second guessing your ability to do the job based on things you had seen and experienced in your past that weren't necessarily related to you as a person. And you were, so you weren't sure you started thinking maybe I'm not made for this job because of things other people did. Correct. Yes. I was like, you know what? I, my father's a felon. Uh, My uncles are drug drug users, uh, you know, it's just not meant to be for me. I said, you know, I, a cop would not fit well with, with this type of surroundings, right? 
But what I did not understood at the time is that I could be the one to break that pattern. Mm-hmm. And, and I changed that, that I changed that I could be to, I'm going to, I'm going to change, right? The pattern. Mm-hmm. I don't have children of my own, but I have nephews and I want them to see, hey, you don't have to follow that, right? You can create your own path, whether it is in policing and medicine or whatever you want to do, just make sure that you are your own person and you can create your own path. But that is correct, Mr. Roba. I, I was blaming me for, you know, for what other people were doing uh, and just adding it to my plate, right? So I had, I had a balance where like, well, first I had to deal with having, uh, this, this type of family, right. That, mm-hmm. that it is important for us to remember, we cannot choose who our family are. Correct. Right. Correct. That's why a lot of people say, well, some friends are better than family members. Yes. Because you get to pick your friends, right. Mm-hmm. You get to choose who, who do you want to in, in your, in your zone and around you. We don't get to pick our family members. So I'm dealing with my family members. And then on top of that, I'm dealing with the trauma that I never addressed. Right. And those two got together and it just created a big bomb in my head where like, okay, this is not going to happen. This is just not going to happen. Right. Um, And and it's difficult. You cannot fight uh, your mind on your own. You need somebody to guide you through. And the best thing is to look for professional help. Mm -hmm. we're going to take a quick break here but when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about uh you know when you have a parent who's a convicted felon and they live in your house and we're going to talk about the time that you smacked the crap out of a police officer we'll be right back (laughs) policebackground.net is the premier background investigation prep site with veteran investigator Ken Ryball, who spent 16 years conducting over 1,400 LAPD backgrounds. For more information, go to policebackground.net. All right, we are back. I thought I'd put that little hook out there about what's coming <laughs> next. When you guys wow. thought, oh, man, Joanna, she's had a tough go of it. What? She got, <laughs> she got in a fight with a police officer? What? Oh when Ken God. told me that, I was like, hey, she didn't mention that in her email. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and as I was doing my PHS, uh, you know, for when when I contact Mr. Roybell, I also I, I put it in a very uh, discreet way. Right. Because I said, I need to explain this one on one because it's just not going to sound right when I type it. Right. <laughs> and you know what? When we when we uh, when we spoke. Um, and we get, you know, I ask the questions, the same questions that, that Minerva asks, but you know, we get it, we get into the depth of whatever situations, but at first blush Minerva, someone puts on the, they, they give you a, a little tiny line. Tell yes. us, tell us what happened here. And they go, I was in a fight with a cop and I was cited and, and you go, what? What? <laughs> That's a raised <laughs> eyebrow moment. Um, and so That's an immediate red flag. Right yeah. There. There's and there's no there's only <laughs> there's only so much you can put in the PHS, but your background investigator is going to um is going to raise her eyebrows and go, Oh, hold on, hold on here. What the heck? 
and they're going to start forming opinions and all this type of thing. Um, and so, uh, when we spoke about this, I was at first, I'm going, Oh man, this does not look good. The more we talk about it and everything, we kind of get to the, the nuts and bolts of it and then figure out, um, how you, how you approach that. So, so this section, this portion of the interview, um, and I'm sure our, our listeners are going she was in a fight with a police officer. <laughs> Holy cow. And they're doing the same things that background investigators do. But hold on. Hold on. There's more to the story. There's more. Don't DQ me yet. Don't de- <laughs> Our listeners do not DQ Joanna just yet. Um, and so let's get into this a little bit. So you were brought up in, in Puerto Rico. And you yes. were going to school there, and there was a school resource officer. So what? So so in order to frame this, let's get into the story about what this what happened here, and how we were we were good. And the, the reason oh I forgot to mention one of the things about this story is you may have things in your past that don't look good just on paper, but as but there's ways to explain things in order mm-hmm. to get your background investigator, the information. Um, and a lot of times Minerva, this is this kind of, we've talked about this. This kind of drives me nuts. Yes. lazy backgrounds where a background investigator, you'll fill out this thing. Have you ever been arrested? Yes, I was arrested for beating the crap out of a cop. And then I was <laughs> cited and all this kind of stuff. And then they go, Oh, you know what? Non-select. Without ever yeah. speaking to the candidate and finding out what well, what happened, and so mm. we're going to tell you today if you get into situations how to uh, how to get the information to the background investigators so they don't prejudge you and DQ you before they even call you. So mm. so what year are we talking about, Joanna? And how old were you? Uh, Two thousand nine. I was seventeen years old, um, senior year. Uh, living my best life, right? I'm sitting here. I'm about to get out of high school. Um, so in Puerto Rico, uh, and this is something I learned after, right? How strict uh, schools are in, in the United States. Because obviously, I didn't went to school here, so I I did not know. But in Puerto Rico, um, it's it's what I call it free for all. You come in and out of school whenever you want to. And uh, I was not a great student. Um, in the mean, in, in the sense of like, I would oversleep cause I had to work nights and things like that. And I'll go to school late. Um, so you have an idea. I graduated, Mr. Roybelt, we didn't talk about this, right? But, um, I graduated with 130 absent oh, graduated. Wow. Right. When I told that would be another red flag. (laughs) When I told my wife about that, she's like, wow, your, your parents would have been in jail here. Right. I didn't know that. And let's not even talk about my driving record. (laughs) She didn't tell me this part either. Yeah. That's like, uh, I was going to show Mr. Roybal my, my driving record. And uh, I still have it from Puerto Rico. I had about 17 tickets. Dang, you know, wow. speeding, uh, tents, uh, what is it? Uh, seatbelt, you name it, driving in the shoulder. I was reckless. I was reckless. And, and it's, it's important. That's not something I'm proud of, but you gotta, you gotta understand that we're talking about when I was 17 years old, you mm-hmm. don't think about those things, right? You don't think like later on, 
you, you're going to try to get your dream job and somebody will be like, whoa, Joanna, you were reckless. You know, <laughs> and that happened to me before. But in Puerto Rico, high school year, um, we have this thing where we uh, we celebrate freshmen, right? The only ones that get to do that are the people that are seniors. So you take instrument, you do a little circle, you make them dance, and nobody wants to dance in high school, right? You feel a little bit of shame. So you just make them dance. I took this instrument, and in the morning I was told by my, my uh, principal, hey, give it to me, come get it, and lunchtime, and you get outside of the school, and you do what you're going to do. I don't want you doing it inside of the school. Understood, ma'am. Grab my instrument, go outside of school, make everybody dance, come back at one o'clock from my one o'clock class. And I came across this officer and he tells me, give me the instrument. And I said, no, the principal told me to hand it to her. That's all I said. He hand clapped my neck, opened the door of the uh, staff office with my back. And as I'm trying to grab myself, because he's pushing me, we're talking about, he was a big man. He's probably five, seven, 250 pounds. I don't, I'm five, two, Miss Minerva. I'm five, two, two. So we're good. <laughs> we're, we're little, right? So, yes. um, I don't know. might've been like 120 pounds then. And, uh, so I was scared. I was extremely scared. So let me, and let I'm me, grabbing myself. let me interject yeah. here for a second in case you guys missed it. When, when she said she wanted to give the instrument to the principal, cause that was the principal said to do, he C clamped her. And if you don't know what a yes. C clamp is, it's when you take your hand and you put it on someone's throat and he's pushing her back. Okay. So go ahead. Yes. So then, uh, as I'm trying to grab myself, uh, to gain, you know, control of my body, I found a tape dispenser and I grabbed it. And as I moved it, I broke his glasses. And then we got into this whole situation with the cop, right? I was cited. Uh, it was a horrible experience. And, and for me, that woke me up because even though I was not thinking about my <laughs> funny, because I, I never, I was never uh, worried about my reckless driving being part of, oh, I'm not going to be able to be a cop. Mm -hmm. But I was worried about that moment when, you know, uh, the sergeant was called and everybody was called in and they took me to the police station and called my mom and because I got into a physical altercation with this gentleman. Long story short, I was cited. Uh, We did uh, uh, a hearing. It was an administrative hearing and I was under a social worker uh, assistance for six months. They assigned me a therapist. I had to pay for his glasses prescription that they were uh, $900. Don't ask me what brand it was. (laughs) (laughs) $900. You're making $725 an hour. You figure. My mom had to work a lot of overtime. I am so sorry, mom, if you get across this podcast. Um, but yeah, that's what happened. I had that situation with the cop and he knew I wanted to be a cop. That was nothing that, you know, I did not share with anybody. I was proud that I wanted to be a cop. I just thought I was a, I was perfect fit. Right. And came across this gentleman, uh, maybe 
couple months, a year after the incident. The officer. And the local bakery. Yes, the officer. And he asked me, hey, are you still trying to be a cop? And I said, well, I'm going to school for it. That's the plan. And I'm thinking in my head, yes, sir. I'm trying to be a cop. <laughs> we exchanged a couple words and, and I apologize. You know why? Because the the immature act of me of not just, I, I would have lost anything just handing the damn instrument to him, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially, he probably felt that I was, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to listen to him or, or I was uh, just, I don't know, just being defensive or something, but I would have not lost anything just handing him the instrument. But yes, uh, I, I went through all that drama for an instrument and I was scared to share that in my background uh, because I said, well, they're, they're not going to see what he did to me. And, and it's good to throw out there that the officer was later assigned elsewhere because I had not been the first student that he had put hands on. Mm. So it seemed like it was a behavior of him already. So he was assigned later um, to another, he was given another assignment, but I was, I was ashamed. I said, well, drug, drug issues in the family, felon father, um, bad driving record, fought a cop, trauma. Then you're thinking like, wow. Joanna's carrying a load of everything. (laughs) (laughs) Joanna has not started working and she's already trouble, you know? So it's just things that plays, it plays games in your mind. Right. And, and what I would do for the listeners is that, um, I will come across officers and I will, I will share with them like, Hey, you know, can I be an officer if I did this or if I had this in my record or if I have a felon father, you know, and, I never came across anybody that said, oh, yeah, you can't. You know, they were like, yeah, you know, they'll share their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, came across a lieutenant not too long ago. He said, listen, my brother is a mess. My parents are a mess. I just don't associate with them. That's it. Yeah. 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 But that's what happened with uh, my story with, uh, with the cop. I did not went to jail, thankfully. Um, but I was taught a really, really good lesson and it was to one be respectful and two you know even though I felt I felt guilty at first even though I know that I didn't do anything wrong in my eyes because I was just defending myself think about I went through a lot of trauma as a kid and I see this big man approaching me right I'm scared there's no other way that I'm going to react you know I'm going to try to push you away from me and and I'm not thinking, oh, this is a cop. I got to be nice to him. You know, I'm not thinking none of those things. But I was definitely ashamed. How do, how do I explain that? How do I explain to anybody interviewing me for a cop position? Hey, I fought a cop when I was 17 years old. You know, like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. And the update on that is you you received the police report and, uh, and you checked the record. Uh, what happened with that? Well, the record, it doesn't show anything you know i don't have anything in my record because uh this was treated uh when i was a minor mm-hmm. uh so it's not in my record essentially um and since it was administrative the cop did not want to pursue any criminal charges 
he just wanted his prescription glasses paid, right? So thankfully that was all clear. However, you know, the fact that it's not in my record for the longest time to the listeners, I will tell you, I thought, well, it's not on my record. Why should I say this? Mm-hmm. Well, think about this. What if they contact my high school? I promise you nobody in that high school, 12 years uh, has passed. They will not forget that there was this little 5'2 girl that fought a cop in there. So what if they go interview? And then my background is like, hey, so you didn't tell me this. What happened? Mm-hmm. And-, and then... I'm going to be the cute. <laughs> and then you recently uh, were able to contact the police officer. Yes. He lives in Panama now. And uh, I asked him, I said, hey, you know, uh, I'm, I'm still trying to get into the police, uh, uh, policing. And uh, I told him, would you be kind enough to write me a letter explaining what happened and how we end up turns? Because honestly, there was no animosity from me mm-hmm. towards him because I put it in this different scenarios. Well, not every day we wake up from the good side of the bed. Right. Right. So he could have very, he, he's a human being. He could have very well been dealing with traumas himself. I don't know, but I need to understand that he was performing his job essentially. And also I, I didn't listen to a request from this officer. Now, I'm not saying that it was okay for him to see clap me. No. You know, he I'm, I'm a 17-year-old female, and, and you're putting your hands on me and my body, and then, you know, it's extremely uncomfortable. But, you know, we, I, I don't look at him anyway. I just ask him if he could write a letter for me and, and that I was applying for police, and he was happy for me, but um, I haven't gotten the letter yet, so... Go figure. <laughs> I was yeah. wondering if he wrote the letter and, and what his it. letter said. But he remember, he remembered the Guido part, right? That was the instrument that I was that I that I took to, to the listeners that know what I'm talking about. The Guido, it's a it's a a native instrument, right? So I took it and this was a homemade one, so it was huge. <laughs> and, you know, I guess he just saw it as a uh, a weapon. I don't know. <laughs> so, so Minerva, let's put our, our background investigator hats on. There's people out there that have yes. stuff in their background that seems like when you first read it, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. And I know yeah. there's a lot of agencies that just look at it at a PHS. They see one sentence and they go, ah, oh, non-select. And they don't, they don't give you the time of day. So, right. so you get this file on your desk and, and she has, <laughs> She has this uh, this narrative that tells you um, it was over an instrument. Uh, he C clamped me, pushed me back. I I was just trying to flailing around, grabbed a stapler, and and uh, was was flailing it back, and I hit him. His glasses came off. I got cited, mm-hmm. sent to the police station. There's no record. I didn't go to court. I think I didn't. There was no punishment for it. It was administrative. I was still in school. Um, Mm -hmm. later on I ran into him, we were cordial, um, and, um, I spoke to him recently. Um, based on that alone, what's your recommendation to Joanna about how do you, moving forward, now you want to be a police officer, how do you present Mm -hmm. that to your background investigator to, to show your side of it? 
Um, <laughs> first of all, hopefully you get an investigator who's even willing to sit with you and hear this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because for me, I would. I'd want to know the details behind it, right? And I always would tell my candidates. So when I interviewed people, I always brought a notepad with me and I would make the candidate take notes mm-hmm. because I would be like, I want you to take notes. There are things that I'm going to request of you. You're going to write it down. And at the end of the interview, you're going to sign and date. I'm going to make a photocopy. You're going to keep the original. I'm going to keep the copy. And like this, we're both on the same page as to what I'm requesting from you. But what I would request from uh, from Joanne, if she were my candidate, <laughs> I want you to put it in writing as detailed as possible. Okay. Um, and at this point in, in your situation, I would just have it already ready. So when you do go into your background interview, you already have it in writing. Okay. Um, I would, I, I mean, you're in Puerto Rico, but I would verify with the school, whether there's a record, a school record on this incident, Um, because believe it or not, um, they are going to ask. Sometimes some agencies will ask for your um, transcripts, your school transcripts. And sometimes they will, the schools will provide any disciplinary action that you have been a part of as part of your transcripts. But there have been times where I have actually contacted the school directly. You know, that little waiver you guys provide that allows me to contact them directly and try to get this information. And then that has come up. I would also want to verify with the police department and with the court. I may even see if there was a court. And now you said this happened when you were juvenile. That's a little more tricky because sometimes those cases or those records get um, sealed because you, it happened when you're juvenile. And at that point, there's nothing you can do. But if you were arrested, I don't know if you were arrested in Puerto Rico, that would come up in your fingerprints here in the States. Um, that should come up if you were booked too. Or, no, or I wasn't. I actually wasn't. Right. Well, you, and you mentioned that you weren't, but you know, that's how I would go about it. But I'm not a lazy investigator. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. Would you do anything different, Ken? <clears throat> well, uh, you, you're you're spot on in what you're saying is very similar to what I told her. And I said, put this, get all this stuff together, get the mm-hmm. uh, get the report. She sent me the report of uh, that there's no record of it in uh, Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico has like a, it's a statewide um, or a countrywide criminal database system and you mm-hmm. just put your information in. It, she's clear. There's nothing there. Um, the, to write a narrative about it. Uh, yes. to, if she can get a letter from the police officer, uh, check the school, all that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's very important for our candidates to know that if you're in a similar situation, listen to what Minerva said and the, the, a lot of times you think, oh, I'm sunk. And you're yeah. not. You're not. And what we, what Minerva and I rail against is lazy yeah. background investigators. Yes, I hate that. I do want to say that uh, I agree with Ken. If you are able to get a copy of the police report, do so and provide it to your investigators so they already have it. Because you will cut so much time in your background, it delaying your background by already having all this information put together when you go in for your interview. Yeah. Because it takes a long time to get a response from agencies or courts to get that type of information. Sometimes, especially if there's a lot of time and, you know, a lot of time has passed by, 
they have to go to their archives. It just takes a long time. So if you have a copy, if you're able to obtain a copy, keep it original, make copies of that copy and provide that to your investigator. Correct. Yeah. And if you have like a, a, a reckless driving record and you pay your tickets and, you know, keep those, yes. I turn those in. Uh, the, the criminal, uh, background that I show Mr. Roy about, I was not asked that in my, uh, interview. However, I did took it because I was talking about the situation mm-hmm. and what they're going to, what they're going to highlight is that you had any criminal actions right on it. So mm-hmm. I took, I took that, uh, that document and I handed it up to them. And if you know that you have a way to back up what you're saying, meaning yes. like Ms. Minerva said, if you have the the record, take it. And if you don't have anything and you can prove that you don't have anything then take it with you, I mean, they'll probably take a copy and give it back to you. Right. And not only that, but that shows transparency on your end. And that's huge because that kind of equivalates to being honest, right. About what happened in your background and what your role was in that incident. Mm -hmm. Right. And one other thing is that if you can add on there, uh, if you can get reference letters from people with titles behind their names, like mm-hmm. teacher so-and-so, principal so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. Joanna was a good kid. She wasn't a troublemaker, um, all these type of things, where they could they could back you at that time period. Uh, anything that you can get. And then the, 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 the uh, important thing, which is, is sometimes difficult – is getting that package of information and marrying it up with your PHS because a lot of PHSs nowadays are are online. And and I was talking to someone the other day about this, and I can't remember, um, Minerva, if if, um, LEPD does this, but when they do your online PHS, if there's a way Mm -hmm. to add uh, like an attachment to it. Um, I don't know, but I mean, how are they sending? Because I, I didn't experience that, right? That's happened now, especially now through COVID um, but, uh, or because of COVID. But if you're mailing documents or you're up, there's got to be a way for them to upload because yeah. there's a list of documents you have to provide. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're uploading them, then I'm assuming it's allowing you to upload whatever documents you need. And that would be the time to upload it. If you're mailing them, then mail them in with the, a copies with the rest of your other documents. Yeah. Go ahead. I have both. I have done both. Actually, I did one where I have to upload everything into a portal they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Hey, don't think. So the email that I wrote to Mr. Roarbell, uh, I copy pasted into the explanation of the situation. And then I changed my mind and I said, you know what, this is too long. Let me just email this to my background investigator and let me just explain briefly here what happened. Well, let me tell you that when I went to my interview this week, they could see it and they saw that I, that I paced that and that I erased it. So be honest, be Mm. honest. You know, I told him, (laughs) yes, detective, I, I wrote that to be able to email that to you. I'm glad that you had the opportunity to read it. If you, if you need me to email it to you or print it, I I will provide that as well. He said, no, it's fine. But we did talk about the incident and I have another um, agency that I'm applying for that. It's all paper. It's all Uh, paper. And uh, and you have to send, you have to send copies of your documents and then just 
present your originals at the time of the interview, but uh, I really like the online form. Honestly, I, it's, it's easier. Yeah. So yeah. if you, if it's online and you can attach your, your documentation, your narrative to that, um, or if you have to mail it in, or sometimes you may have to walk it in, walk but it in, yes. at the end of the day, you want your paperwork to marry up with their PHS that they get, however they get it. That's yeah. super, super important because you want them, if they get some documentation along with your PHS, it's, it's nearly impossible for them to not review it before mm -hmm. they make judgment on you. Uh, that and here's would, some, I'm go sorry, ahead. go no. ahead, Ken. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to make some suggestions. If you mail it in, certified mail, always, yes, okay? Yes. If you walk it in, you make sure you get the name of the person you hand-delivered it to, and most of the time, those documents get stamped. Tell them you want a copy of the stamped copy that you provided because there'll be time and date stamp that you took it in because you'll be surprised how much paperwork gets lost and you want to be able to back it up. If they say if the investigator says, Hey, we know the clerk or whoever, I, we don't have, I don't have this. At least you have a stamped copy that shows that you truly did hand deliver it on this date at this time. Or because this is 2022, you can just go, hey, can I take a selfie with you and this? Hold the paperwork up. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> Let's put do it on a boomerang. Yeah, boomerang. So. Me handing it to you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when you first hear a story, and background investigators are, are guilty of this too. When you first hear a story, we, we talked about this when we talked to Ruben Avalos when I said I got Ruben's, uh, one of our earlier episodes where Ruben had applied to yeah. 30 agencies, blah, blah, blah. And, and the package landed on my desk and I go, holy crap, holy crap. What <laughs> is this? So I made this judgment based on this huge file when in reality now he's, now he's 15 years into LEPD because I decided I was going to do a background because I like Minerva, I'm not a, a, a lazy background <laughs> investigator. Um, but we do have opinions when we receive those packages. Yeah. We're not okay. saying we don't have opinions. We're just saying Opinions that. are accepted. <laughs> right. Opinions yeah. are accepted. We have opinions, however, that does not prevent us from actually doing the investigation. It should not prevent that investigator from actually doing their job. Yeah. One thing I want to, I want to expand on is something jo Joanna uh, had mentioned is that when you are doing these online, um, these online applications, the PHSs, they have a system in place. And th this is the second time I've heard about this, but, but I know it's built into the system. When you, when you uh, go in there and you write something <clears throat> and then you delete it, the system tracks it and mm -hmm. it makes copies of it. So the background investigator can say where you go, yeah, I ran over that cat and I did it on purpose. Oh, never mind. Um, <laughs> a cat ran in front of my car. They're going to see the first one and then how you changed it. So That's be pretty awesome, actually. That's a pretty <laughs> awesome too. <laughs> so just be mindful on these online forms that, that if you change something or before you, and this is even without submitting it. The fact yeah, that you typed it in, it's making a copy of it. 
And so just be very, uh, you may want to, you may want to type something out first and then decide you're going to put it in the, in the PHS. Um, so it sounds like it takes a record of everything you type in. So even if you haven't submitted it, the system itself yes. or the portal is automatically saving it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right? yes. Yep. Interesting. Well, Absolutely. good for the investigators. Guys, don't lie. Just don't <laughs> yeah. lie. Don't do it. It's not gonna it's not gonna work. I'm telling you. Don't do it. So what I would suggest is like, you know, I've learned a lot from this podcast, right? And one thing that I did not do uh my first time was keep a copy of my PHS. Mm -hmm. I did not, uh, I did not remember what I wrote, what I didn't wrote. And it, it wasn't, I wasn't concerned about honesty, right? I was just concerned about dates of work. I mean, so many years has passed. I don't remember these things, right? So now I have to go into my taxes and check where I work at this time and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, if, if you happen to have one of those online PHSs, and you have the opportunity to print it out, print it out, do a rough draft, and then type it, right? Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it, it'll be the best, best for you, you know, to keep a record for yourself and also know exactly what are you going to type and how are you going to word it, right? Because they're also paying attention to your grammar yes. and all these type of things. Yes. Don't think that your computer is going to autocorrect it because at <laughs> least in my program, it didn't happen. You know, yeah. So whatever software they have, and one of uh, pet peeves of Minerva and I do not uh, do not fill out your application like you're texting. Yes, N -E do not type like you text. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> oh, gosh, be right back yeah. <laughs> be right be right. Um, here's a suggestion if you guys don't remember your employer dates my understanding is that you can go onto the social security website and get a record of your work history there yeah um you used to be able to do I that i don't know if there's a charge for that i don't know if they still do it yeah but it's worth trying yeah. however be responsible and just update your um, resumes or keep a log. You know, every time you get a new job, the day you start, when you leave, enter the date or a little spreadsheet or something. Yeah. I told my kids to do that. Yeah, if somebody does do that where they can get the their work history from Social Security, let us know. Drop me a line and let me know because, I mean, this is the way it was years ago. I don't know if they're still doing it. Um, yeah. And uh, so let's talk about, uh, there's one last piece of this puzzle in Joanna's background. Uh, let's talk about your, <laughs> let's talk about your dad because um, you're, you first were, um, you mentioned that your dad was in prison in the nineties. Correct. So he's an ex-con, but he didn't live with you then. And then uh, um, recently, as recently as this year, um, there were some issues with your dad where he went back to prison and he was living with you. Tell us about that. Correct. So like I said, I was raised by my grandparents. I met my father when I was seven. Um, and he had already had, uh, he was convicted back in the nineties, like you said, Mr. Roybal. And then fast forward to 2020, uh, September of 2020, my father was accused of molesting uh, his uh, stepdaughter, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, you can imagine, as I shared with you guys what I went through, how this situation, right, uh, 
create a lot more. Um, it, it reminds me of my traumas as a kid, right? It's a trigger. Yes, it triggers. That's the word mm-hmm. I was looking for. It, it triggers my traumas as a kid. Um, at the time, I believed in the innocence of my father. I just couldn't believe it. Um, so I offered, I offered, I spoke to my wife and we, we told him, Hey, you know, it's okay for you to stay with us. And the reason was he was going through obviously a separation and he had a place to live. Me believing in my dad's innocence. I opened the doors of our home. He stayed with us. And in June of this year, my dad was found guilty, right. Of, of, of this accusation. Uh, what can I say? I mean, it's embarrassing. Uh, listeners, this, this, you know, as, as children's, you don't find a way to share, well, my father's a pedophile or, you know, criminal. That's, those are not things that you want to say proudly about your father or your mother. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, how did it affect me? Well, emotionally bad, you know, Essentially, I have a a criminal in my house. So how would you feel? I mean, I have to protect my my household, protect my wife, um, my nephews. You know, I, I I didn't trust him after I knew what was going on. I was just very in, on edge, right, with with everything around me. He, I was living with him back in 2015 because. I had, my plan was to move to LA because I love California and I wanted to move to LA to pursue policing in LA. So in 2015, I moved with him and I don't know. I'm like I said, we all know I'm not a background investigator, but thinking now living with a felon then could have definitely affect my process right because i was living in the same house of an ex-convict and this is something that i learned in this podcast you do not want to be associated in any way um with these type of people now for how long the conviction was i don't know where come when it comes to that how far do you guys look or where do you not look um but yeah this happened in 2022 um, wow. I, it's just, what I can tell you guys is that I, uh, therapy helped me through it. That's it. That's, that's who I can give all the props to. It's just therapy. It would have been a lot more difficult for me to deal with if I didn't, if I wasn't going to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I treat therapy as that's my cell phone bill, right? And you have to pay it every month. So I go to therapy every month because I like to talk. And there's always something to talk about and it just makes me feel good. But um, living with him was difficult uh, because then I have to stop my whole process. You know, I can't apply to be a police when I'm living with somebody who's, who's being, you know, accused of molesting a, ch- a, ch- a children. Um, he's right now in jail. Um, I have no communication with him. Uh, I, I do have, and this is something I talked to Mr. War about that I was concerned about, uh, 
when I believed in my father's innocence, I had agreed into a power of attorney to be able to sell his house whenever that was finalized. And that was something that I also share with my background investigator. I took the document, the power of, of attorney. I took it with me. I handed it to my background investigator. I told him, this is what I have in regards to my father. Um, this is the reason why I have it. And the reason is because um, somebody needs to close on the house and he had assigned that to me. But as far as communication, uh, he, he will call me and mail me, but I've never visited him in prison and none of those things. I just, as a victim of sexual abuse, I cannot, I mean, I don't condone what he did regardless, you know, but it's just, you, some things you just can't accept, you know, it's just like, it's, I put myself in her situation, you know, and unfortunately we don't communicate, but it's not because I don't want to communicate with them. It just, it broke. The communication broke. I don't know anything about them. I wish that, you know, I can share some, some of my experiences with her and let her know that I have empathy and, and that I love her because I do. And that I'm so sorry for what happened to her, you know, um, but during the process, I needed to remind myself that whatever he did does not represent me. Mm-hmm. But, but that was still vividly there. How do I explain to my background investigator that I was first sexually abused and second, I'm sheltering essentially an abuser. Mm-hmm. How do you explain that? I Just mean, the way you said it right now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But it, it it brings so, like, you overthink it so much, yeah. right? And then you come to the conclusion of, like, well, you just say it. I mean, what right. are you going to – there's nothing you can add or subtract from the sentence. It's just the way it is. Yeah. I believed in my father's innocence, and that later I learned that he was not the good person that I thought he was. Yeah, and, and background investigators deal in facts, and the psychological Correct. people deal with the psychology of it, and so um, that's that's an important factor. There's a couple of things that come to mind. One is is something that you brought up. Um, we used to uh, contact CDCR, California Department of Corrections, and we could tell, we mm-hmm. could find out if somebody visited an inmate. So it is not, if you know somebody, I don't, you know what? And I'm not trying to be cold blooded or sound harsh. We don't care who, if it's your parent, if you love them to death or whatever, we don't care who it is. If you're visiting a convict in prison, Mm -hmm. that you should not be doing that as a police officer. The second thing is the reason that you cannot live with an ex-con is because in most states, ex-cons can't be in possession of weapons, or nor can they be around weapons. So right. you're, you know, it's a violation. Uh, the third thing about living with an ex-con is it is a conflict of interest. You cannot put people mm-hmm. in jail, send them to prison, then go home and have dinner with an ex-con. That just <laughs> doesn't work that way. So there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of pitfalls. Now, my question for you, Joanna, did you know that this would cause you problems in your background? Um, if you had taken, when you took him in? Absolutely not. I mean, absolutely not. Uh, 
back in 2015, my thought was like, well, this happened so long ago. What does it matter? Right. Right. He's, and I'm thinking, well, he's not in any questionable uh, activities. And, and I believe I mentioned that in the email that I sent Ms. Minerva, I said, you know, fast forward to this. And throughout that time, he never went back to those type of, uh, of scenarios. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But one thing is you being convicted of drug charges and now you're being, you know, accused of totally something different. Right. It, it doesn't even uh, attach with the other. But no, I did not. I did not because I was absolutely naive. I I just said, hey, you know, he's not going to live with me. You know, it's temporary. I can still apply for this job. Yeah. Uh, but no, I was wrong. You know, I was wrong. And like Mr. Roybal said, you can't put people in jail and then live with one that it's about to go to jail or maybe it's in the process of who knows what. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've had candidates where I've had to tell them like, Hey, you know, you might want to, you, if you want to continue, you're going to have to move or figure out a, a different residency. Like if they live with a felon or something like that, or are they move either they move or you move. <laughs> it's one yeah. or the other, Yeah. but you just you know, can't be in the same place, you know, for some of the, for the reasons that, you know, can mentioned, but I had a candidate whose um, dad, basically her, all the, almost all the men in her family were in a member gang members of this really notorious East LA gang. And her dad went to prison when she was like a toddler. And when I asked her questions like, Hey, like, why was your dad in prison? What was he charged? What was he convicted of? How long was he in prison? Cause those are questions you're going to be asked. I mean, I know I asked them. I don't know if Ken would ask. I'm assuming Ken, you asked some of those questions too. I Cause I want to know, right. We want to know that like, like Ken said, we are <laughs> fact finders. That is the main purpose of a background investigator is to be the finder of fact and to document those facts. Right. So she had no idea. She just couldn't answer my questions. And I said, well, you need to ask, I go, is, is your mom around? Like, can she answer these questions? And finally her mother actually called me and told me, she's like, look, she's like, I understand my daughter's going through the process. This is what happened. She's like, I shielded my kids from that environment as much as possible. So they really do not know what he did, why he was there. We didn't visit him when he was in prison. So she explained this to me and I, you know, wrote up a summary of my conversation with her. And that explained to me why my candidate couldn't ex answer these questions that I had. But it was noted in this, in my final summary, like, Hey, you know, her dad is a convicted fella and he was part of this gang you know, this happened when she was very young. Her mother was interviewed. This is what the mother stated. You know, all of this was written out and put laid out in her background by me. You know, so there are ways around that. I believe she was offered a job with this young lady. And I think eventually she decided not to take it. Mm. But that was a decision she made. You know, that was on her. And yeah. I don't know. And who knows what kind of backlash she would have gotten from her family when she right. comes from a family of gang members right so there's that too i wasn't really supported by it you know actually right now 2015 i shared with my family i was going through a process right now i haven't shared it with them 
Oh, no. I'm going to do like Mr. Orwell. I remember this time he said, I came to tell people that I was when I was about to graduate the academy. That's what I'm going to do. You'll find out when I graduate, you know, yeah. God, God willing, somebody offers me a job and, and not decided just came through my PHS. Right. And actually put in some work into it. But um, now my, my mom, you know, my mom was this type of mother. I love my mother. She brought me to this earth. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I did not have that supportive um, uh, mother. Right. Uh, I remember sharing with her that I wanted to go to college and she told me, you don't get tired of studying. What mother tells <laughs> that to a kid, right? And I said, no, mom. And, you know, and, and, and I got where like, well, you're too good to be a cop because some people had the perspective that if you're a good person, you cannot be a cop. Mm. Well, no, you have to have empathy. You know, you, you need to be a great communicator, have empathy and, and, and leadership. Right. And right. I said, mom, that's what I want to do. And that, that's what it is. But, Right now, I, I, I train myself, right, to just worry about what I want to do and have mm-hmm. my family. Unfortunately, like I said earlier, you cannot pick your family members. Right. Right? And it doesn't right. not matter how good or how bad your family members are or your, your circle, right? If you understand that you're that good tree, right, that it's going to give good fruit, then stay away from those those bad waters right i always tell that to people a tree will not grow if it's near a creek that just brings trash Mm -hmm. it's not gonna grow Mm -hmm. so stay away from it stay away from it and create your own path well you mentioned that you spoke to a lieutenant who said hey you know my brother did this my you know my family's did this and he's just had to cut ties with his family Mm -hmm. and sometimes that you have to do, you know, you just have to be like, look, this is what I want for me. And in order for me to succeed this, I just got to cut ties with certain people, even if they're blood, you know, you're related mm-hmm. to them by blood. Yeah. That's just, that's just how it sometimes goes. And it's not just in policing, it's in any fact, other parts of life. Some, some people, you know, the whole saying people come into your life for a reason or a season, right? Yeah. Some get to stay, some don't. You make that decision, though. Correct. And so. uh, I'd like to say that Minerva's kept me around for several years. So let me see. <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> that. Sunshine. I'm not a season. <laughs> I'm a reason. Um, and, you know, this applies to, uh, to your friends, too. It's not just family. It's not living with felons. Yes. It's associating with criminals, period. Um, yes. If you have friends that use illegal drugs or they're committing crimes or they're basically idiots, you should not hang out with them and you should explain to them, hey, my, I decided to be a police officer. Unfortunately, we cannot hang out anymore. And that's just the way it mm-hmm. is. Uh, so you have to kind of pick sometimes. Um, and, and a lot of people listen to this podcast and they're going, wow, Joanna, she's really had some hard times. Um, and uh, it's, it, uh, it relates to her background. But we were speaking uh, uh, the day before yesterday, and it sounds like there was some good news recently that came out of uh, an interview for you. Yeah, yeah. So I reapplied to that agency that, um, that I did back in 2015. Um, and you guys will tell me, right. If this is a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) So I went, I went to my interview and, uh, uh, the background investigator says, so, Hey, you know, I went through your background. Um, 
you know, the, your background was fairly easy to work around. Go figure what that means. <laughs> I don't know. Because the first thing that came to my mind, I was like, oh, my God, they told me no last time. So what does it mean? Right. And he said, we're just going to go over a couple things, explain the whole police situation and explain um, uh, the scenarios that happened. But the first thing that he told me when we sat there, and this is so you guys, uh, listeners know, you know, he told me, I am sorry about your dad. So don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. Don't overthink it. I was there. I'm like, well, nobody's going to give me a job because my dad's a criminal, you know? Don't overthink it. He said, I'm sorry for, for what happened with your dad. And I say, hey, you know, he, he, got, he got what he deserved, right? I, I, what am I going to do? That's not my problem. I just he made his choices. My life. Yeah. Right. And, uh, well, yeah. So he told me it was fairly easy to go around your background. Uh, we talk about a couple things. Schedule for the polygraph next week. So... Uh, let's see. I mean, I don't know. I've always wondered what happened. And uh, I told my wife, I'm going to ask them why they didn't hire me last time. And she's like, please don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I figured yeah. what? I can't do that. I told, like, hey, I'm here again. I told Joanna that um, the fact that they're moving on to the poly means that she's being processed into the yes. next phase. So that's very good news. Especially a small agency, because it costs a lot of money to do polygraphs. So there's the smaller agencies moving on into that direction. It it looks promising. Yeah. Well, there was a couple of things that uh, like uh, driving record, right? There was a unregistered ticket that I got that it was not on my driving record. And, And this is for the listeners. If you know you got a ticket and it's not on your driving record, call the local court, right? They will find out. Lucky for me, I got that information because the other agency went a little in depth with specifics, what they wanted. They wanted a fine amount, right? So I had to make that call. And that's when I found out about this other ticket. So what did I do? I print the docket sheet. My background investigator did not ask me for that. Obviously I didn't disclose it on my PHS because I did not investigate that, that, Really, right? I, I just went by my driving record mm-hmm. and I told him, I found this while working on a, another, another PHS. And what he does, he's like, oh, funny thing. I wanted you to explain that to me because I found it doing your background. <laughs> right? right? So like Ms. Minerva said earlier, you know, you're, you're projecting your, your, your honesty, right? Because mm-hmm. he already found that out. So yeah. just say it. Yeah. Yeah. And if, you know, sometimes like that, if you didn't know, I mean, was it attached to the license plate or like, what was it? How did it was on a registered vehicle? So I don't know. It's just not on my driving record. I don't know where that right. really went. Um, but I had to contact the uh, county court and they gave me the docket sheet. I found it online and I printed it. I just That's handed it. to him. So, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if it's like this, you didn't know. So you were able to explain, like, I didn't know I went to court and they told me this. Here's a copy of it. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, I wanted to ask you about this. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so that worked out really well. But that's because you're being honest. Yeah. Well, um, be- before we before we end the uh, the episode, this is uh, this is 
uh, a good episode. But uh, Joanna told me she wants to turn the tables on us, uh, Minerva. And oh, she wow. wants to, Are we being interviewed? We, she wants to interview <laughs> us. So, uh, so uh, our new co-host Joanna will be taking over the show <laughs> right now. You're on, Joanna. So, listeners, I mean, I'm, I'm talking in behalf of all of us, right? Because I'm a listener too. Um, you know, we always hear how Mr. Roybal and Miss Minerva ask for war stories, right? So how about if today we get to find out Miss Minerva and Mr. Roybal's were war stories, right? Tell us a good one and a bad one. And we'll start with Miss Minerva. Ladies first. All right. So one of the things, one of the stories or one of the incidences that comes to mind is uh, I remember I was working patrol and in our city, we have what's called Code 10 City. And what that means is that you are the only unit available in the entire city. It was a very, very busy evening. It was a Saturday evening, I think. And there were just a lot of party calls for whatever reason. And I don't recall what time of year this was. Um, but anyway, there's a tone when a hot call comes in where it's a crime in progress that comes on. And for us was like a do, 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 do. I don't know mm-hmm. how it is for LAPD, yeah, yeah. but I, you know, when you're code 10 city, you basically, you just park, you don't pull traffic cause you have, you are the only unit available. So you have to remain available for anything that comes up. And uh, so I had parked, I had reports to write. So I had just kind of sat down and gotten to a point of starting to write when this comes up. And since I know I'm code 10 city, I'm like, Oh, like my ears perked up. Well, it was a stabbing. It was a stabbing that was occurring on the south end of the of our city next to an area that borders LAPD Northeast Division. And um, so I'm going code three lights and sirens and other people. You start hearing them on the radio. They're like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm clear heading to this call, clear to this call. Right. I get there and there was a gang detective who just happened to be nearby. So we're the he's first on scene, now second on scene. Fire is staging because they will not come in until it's cleared for them to come in. So and it's chaotic. There's people screaming and there's sirens coming from all over. People are stepping on the radio on each other. Don't do that, people. <laughs> Keep the radio waves clear. <laughs> um, anyway, another officer who that was her area, she was like, the victim was now inside. She had clearly been stabbed. I was trying to obtain suspect information to put out a crime broadcast for the other units that were coming up. I had already asked the air unit to establish a perimeter since it was a crime that had just occurred. So by the time I was able to get uh, information on these two suspects, um, I had put it out. Um, I was like, okay, where am I needed? Because now uh, the uh, the other officer, she said she was going to take the, the handle since it was in her area. She's old school. This, she's kind of like, happens in my area. I take the handle. That's how it should be. <laughs> guys, you guys. <laughs> so um, I became what we call a roving officer. So I start roving the area, you know, because already there are already officers set up in the perimeter. And I decided to go down this alleyway i remember i was looking for a male suspect male hispanic um with a gray light gray shirt and dark pants that was my first suspect my second suspect was also a male hispanic and he had a striped white and blue shirt that's all i recall from back then this happened i don't know 12 13 years ago so it's been a while a couple years ago a couple years ago anyway so um 
I'm driving blacked out in this alleyway off of San Fernando Road. And, you know, I don't know how I saw movement, but I, it was dark. I saw movement and I put my spotlight and it's my first suspect. So I automatically get my gun out and I'm yelling, you know, yelling for him to put his hands up, you know, and I, everybody's like, I get on the radio, I'm trying to put this out, you know, everything's happening in like milliseconds, right? I forget my location. All I'm able to put is that I'm on the alley off of San Fernando. I don't recall my cross street and I don't know how I did this. I don't know because somebody was watching over me. I end up putting my spotlight and I shine it up and the air unit was able to see me. So they sent, they put out my location. This guy's still walking towards me. He's calling me all kinds of names. People are coming out, officer, what's going on? And I'm yelling like, get the F inside. I'm pointing my gun downwards, right? And trying to yell at this guy who's still walking towards me. Then the gang detective shows up. He starts yelling commands. Finally, the guy stops walking. I could see that he has something silver in his hand. I can't tell what it is. In my mind, I'm thinking it could be a knife, right? He just stabbed somebody. So uh, the male detective, the gang detective, he was also short. I'm 5'2". We've mentioned that a few times. He was not much taller than me. And we're like, it's just the two of us at this point. We're like, we can't keep yelling commands at this guy. So finally, he's like, keep your weapon out. I'm going to take him down. And I said, okay. So... That was our plan at the time. Um, he was able to take him down and out. The fight was starting to, the, the guy was struggling. You know, I have to holster my weapon, get in there. He's spitting blood at me. He's trying not to get handcuffed. So he has his arms under his body. So he's kind of on the, he's on his stomach on the ground, spitting blood in my direction. I was towards his right. He has his arms underneath his body and he was a big guy. He was like, 230 pounds, something like that, maybe like 5'10 to our 5'2, five 5'7. Five <laughs> so, um, you know, he's not cooperating more. We can hear you more sirens coming and um, I'm able to basically I elbowed him in the middle of his back to get his arms out. And I, I'm not going to lie, I, I gave him a knee in the side of his ribs because he kept spitting blood at me. And that's so disgusting to me. Rude. So, yeah. So anyway, we were able to handcuff him. And while we patted, the, you know, the, the his lower back, I was able to find the knife and the knife had blood on it. So, you know, your adrenaline's kicking up. By then other people are coming. They're searching there. It's a very long alley. So they're, they're continuing to search and there are many carports off of this alley. So they're still searching for suspect number two. We obviously needed an R, uh, an R and ambulance because this guy had, you know, now he had a gash over his eyebrow and he was, you know, got to give him medical treatment. So I'm walking towards um, walking west on the alley towards San Fernando to get the fire department who's still staging. And as I'm coming, I get them, I wave them in. They start driving down the alleyway. As I'm walking back to where suspect one is, I see suspect number two peeping in and out of this fence. So now I get my gun again. <laughs> I'm yelling commands. He looks at me. He's like, oh, shit. And he starts running. And I'm like, do not fucking run. 
<laughs> and he just laid out on the ground. I don't know. He just laid out and the fire guys were like, uh, forget this. They start backing out. <laughs> They'll leave me all alone. One of the other officers heard me yelling command. So they come running towards where I am. We end up um, handcuffing suspect number two. And um, that lady, this guy ended up being a gangster. He was uh, the first suspect. Number one was a known gangster. The gang detective recognized him right away. And the lady that got stabbed, they ended up doing a field show up. Um, She was so scared. She moved out that next morning. Wow. She was like, I'm out. I'm out of this area. I don't want to do it. Um, she just refused to cooperate because she was so afraid of the fact that he was a gang member. But um, the gang detective ended up arresting him on a vandalism incident. He had tagged a Yoshinoya restaurant in our city. And that was basically just to kind of keep him. So um, anyway, the detectives did their thing. Um, he was a third striker. So he ended up being convicted 25 years for a lot of to life wow. for that, wow. for attempt murder. So yeah, that's one of my hot calls there. A, hot call. a lot of adrenaline going on that. Night. Yeah. A lot for one. How about you, Mr. Robo? Well, I, 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 when you first told me about this, I had to go to the way back machine. <laughs> Cause you have to remember when it comes to, you know, I wish, I wish, um, I wish I had wrote, written this stuff down years ago because we're talking – I started uh, 42 years ago, and so my memory fades quite a bit. But I remember mm-hmm. my first gun that I got, we were – this is a very short story, but when when I was on probation in Newton, uh, we stopped a guy, and he was probably a in his 40s, just on the street. And my partner goes, okay, go ahead and pat him down, you know, because I'm learning police work. And I'm reaching around, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a pat down on him, a search, and I reach around his waistband, <clears throat> and there's a there's a, a, a 32 uh, revolver in his waistband. I don't know what I was thinking, but immediately, I don't know if they taught us this in the academy or whatever, but I said, mm-hmm. gun! <laughs> and I pulled the gun out of his waistband, pulled my gun out, my partner pulled out his gun, and the guy went to jail. <laughs> That, you know, and I've taken, I I took off the street, many, many people with guns, many people with guns, but he was my first. So (laughs) kind of brings a tear to my eye. He was my first. Uh, The second, second story uh, was funny to me because I went, uh, we were, we were chasing a guy. Um, I don't know why we were chasing him, but we were chasing him. Uh, We were probably chasing him because he was running, right? Sounds good to me. Um, and he's running. He hops over this fence. And I have no, no desire to go hopping over a chain link fence in an industrial yeah. area in my uniform. So he hops over the fence. He's starting to run away. I yelled at him. And I said, if you don't effing stop, I'll kill you. Well, he stopped. <laughs> and then, so then later on, I'm putting him, you know, he comes out. We cuff him up. I'm putting him in the police car, and he's crying. And he says to me, he says, thank you for not killing me. I said, <laughs> yeah. That is so funny. Well, the power of words. The power right? of words. The third one is a little more serious. This is, this is uh, interesting in that <clears throat> the way this all happened. So it was a cold evening. It was a cold evening 
uh, and I can't remember what division it was, but this guy, he was sitting, uh, it, it was nighttime. Um, he was watching a football game. He was sitting up against his window and apparently he, this guy's daughter broke up with, uh, the, the, the boyfriend, um, he was mad because the girlfriend or, or maybe the, 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 the guy, uh, who was sitting at the window watching a football game didn't like him. And it was the, it was his girlfriend's boyfriend. So the boyfriend. boyfriend, well, you know what I mean. What I'm trying to say <laughs> the girlfriend's boyfriend. So apparently, um, he knew where the guy sat at the window in his living room. So he proceeds to take a shotgun with a with a uh, a one ounce slug, mm. and he shot the guy through the window in the back. Damn. And uh, the guy falls. I mean, he got blown off his chair. He lands in front of the um, in front of the uh, the front door, the apartment door. It and I remember, and I remember specifically, it was cold. There was probably about oh, I don't know four or five of us that responded to the call, and it was one of those things where he landed in front of the door. So in order for us to get to him, we had to push the push door. <laughs> His body was blocking the door. So then um, we're pretty sure he's 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 seriously dead, and the um, and so while we're waiting for the coroner, because he had to wait for the coroner to show up, uh, while we're waiting for the coroner, there's really nothing for us to do. We're just waiting. So there's about three or four of us, and the football game was on. <laughs> so he was standing behind us, and we're huddled around the the um, the TV watching the football game while he's laying dead behind us. And it was warm; he had the heater on, so we were cozy. But we were watching a football game. Then when the coroner got there, I had never seen a one ounce slug um, from a shotgun before. And um, and the coroner comes in; he puts his gloves on, his rubber gloves, and he proceeds to take two fingers, his index finger, his middle finger, and he puts it in the hole in the guy's back and he goes, Ooh, that's big. And the, <laughs> was the, the hole was probably at least like the size of a shot glass. This hole yeah, was wow. so huge at close range. So um, that's just one of those things, you know, that's my story. And that's did, cool. did you see the coroner do, we should have a coroner on here, but did you see the coroner <laughs> do the, the temperature thing? Yeah, where they, Like where they, the, the thermometer they put it in there yeah they put it in the liver it, in the liver to take the temperature <laughs> and that's kind of how they determine how long the person died passed away but um and you can sometimes hear the skin pop it like pops pop. Pop. <laughs> the, the liver pops pop. yes and you go oh cool yeah the based on the temperature of the liver they can tell you how long ago the guy how long has been dead or whatever the person has been but, dead yeah i mean Plus i have rigor mortis and all that stuff <laughs> i mean there's other stories i remember but those are those are just ones that come to mind um but that's kind of it's interesting to to remember all that stuff you know you mentioned awesome. you guys huddling around watching the football game i once ate a sandwich with it next to a dead guy I was hungry because sometimes when you're waiting for the corner, it could be yeah. hours, hours. Yeah. And I and hope dead, it wasn't a meatloaf sandwich. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but dead people fart and it stinks so bad. <laughs> I went to, we, we had a, we had a, a, a dead body call in the daytime and it was summer. 
And for oh, yeah, some, this was summertime too, and he had the heater on yeah, in his hotel room. For, and it was like, what the hell? For some reason, wow. this lady, this old lady, she was probably in her seventies, and she she was watching TV at was it night? And so she was watching TV, and um, she had the heater on, and she sat in her chair and died. And so we got the call about the dead body. Dead bodies are just, you know, when people die, you got to go. They send the police. And so we got mm-hmm. there, and she's just laying there in her in her chair, and she had been there overnight. And we got in there, and holy cow, from the heater being on, it was like it was pungent. The odor was pungent, and that's mm-hmm. how a lot of times people we get called because the odor coming from the apartment gets into the other apartments. They can smell it. Something's not right. Yes. So we go in there and she's laying there. And so the heater's on. So I think we turn the heater off, but finally the coroner shows up. He picks her up. Mm. He picks her up and puts her on the gurney. So she's, she's got, she's imagine if you were sitting and you were slumped over, then your body had rigor mortis. So it's all stiff. So when they picked up her body, her body came up in the seated position on the gurney. So then he asked me to help him. And so what he does is he decides he's going to open her up and just make her lay down flat. So when he opened her up, it opened up her abdominal area and all kinds of putrid smell came out of her mouth from her just releasing all this gas it's and so disgusting. It was horrible. It was horrible. I go, oh, oof. God, I can only imagine. That so, was my guy. My guy was the same situation. He was guy. in a hotel room. Yeah, I don't remember his name. It was hot. It was summer. It was hot. Why he had the heater on is, I don't know. I don't know. But he had a heart attack. He was walking between the bed and the dresser had a heart attack and fell back. And that's how his body just got stuck in that position. So same as you, the, the coroner comes, puts him in a gurney and he wants to straighten out the body. Right. And all this smell, horrible. Ugh. Oh God. Dead people are so, disgusting. Dead but people I was so hungry. Really... I still ate. I yeah. was like, I'm hungry. I need to eat. So this, this, this will just tell you that when you're a police officer, we talked about this last case, last, last episode, you can't be thin skinned. Um, Mm -hmm. You gotta be able to just blow stuff off. But the thing is though, guys, and this is, this ties into this episode with regard to mental health is that you have got to take care of your, your own mental health just because you go, Oh, cool, man, let's go eat. It's not, it doesn't mean it went away. Yeah. Does that mean it went away? So uh, bear in mind that if you want to be a police officer, you need to be mindful of of the trauma that you go through and the things that you see. Just because you see them, but they didn't happen to you, doesn't mean you didn't see them. Yeah, right. you didn't, you didn't experience it. Yeah, um, so it's very important, and I think it's it's if if I can get anything out to the candidates is that your mental health starting now with regard to how Joanna's talking about that she's taking care of her mental health to prepare her for the job or uh, definitely, definitely once you get on the job and you start seeing things, you need to make sure it doesn't all just, you don't just store it up and it doesn't, you, if you think it doesn't go anywhere, you're wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. I just like I just held it in. It doesn't bother me. So um, with that, and and uh, I'm going to do a shameless plug here. Joanna, 
Can you tell us about policebackground.net consultations and what you think about them? I wish I told you, Mr. Orbell, I wish I came across you before. I mean, you know, for me, I, I, I didn't think I had a lot of issues with communicating. I, I love to talk. That's like my hobby. Right. But <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it was just, uh, knowing what my background investigator wants from me, right? Uh, from that perspective, I mean, it's, it's a plus. Listener, it's a plus that we have this platform that is free, that Mr. Roybal offers uh, this consultation. And as, as early as Tuesday, I had a conversation with Ms. Savala getting me ready for my oral um, interview as well. So, we have something that maybe some of our peers didn't have, right? Technology, <laughs> Google it, mm -hmm. come up with something, YouTube it, ask questions. Um, you know, what can I say? I mean, this helped me big time. Um, I went to thinking I don't have a chance to, I have a polygraph schedule next week. I have an agility test coming up with another agency. Um, so it's moving. I mean, I'm, I'm nowhere near the finish line. Right. We still got to go through the academy, FTO, all of those things. But I'm happy and I'm excited that, that, that I'm going. Right. So if you're in doubt, give Mr. Roybell a, a, a call, send him an email, um, talk in the Facebook, ask questions. You know, there's not such a thing as stupid questions. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, the rest of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. just, just ask your questions. Just ask your questions. I mean, I come from a family like you guys, like you guys heard, I have no background in law enforcement whatsoever, other than the other end of it. Maybe if I want to know what it feels like to be in prison, I can ask that, but <laughs> not what to keep away. Right. But, you know, uh, Mr. Orwell, thank you so much for, for having a word with me, Miss Minerva. I emailed you before we even came in contact to meeting each other and you were a lot of encouraging for me as a woman, as a, as a police, uh, as a female police applicant. Um, and you know, let's, let's get going. I'm excited. I hope that, that I can come up and, and the other line and, and just be like, Hey, you know, I did it. You could do it too. You know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it is. So we're we're really thankful for you guys who are listeners, um, faithful listeners to to the podcast. Minerva and I are just having a kick, yes, uh, doing the podcast. And Minerva, I have to tell you, you've brought so much um, uh, personality, more personality to the podcast, and and it shows with all the people that that email and say, "Oh, please say hi to Minerva." Minerva, if you go back, if you go on to the uh, the ratings for the Apple podcast ratings and the people write stuff and go ken and minerva ken and minerva and all this kind of stuff and so oh, thank um, you guys <laughs> you brought it just you've just been a really big deal to the podcast and i i appreciate you again guys um if you need a, a consultation don't go into your background investigation blind don't yes. think you know it all because i can almost guarantee you you do not so um <laughs> yes. get a hold of me go to policebackground.net and you can uh fill out a contact form get a hold of me let's let's talk about whether i and people have called me and i said hey, you don't need a consultation i'm not going to take your money just to take your money right. and if uh but more often than not people do get consultations by the time they get done by the time i get done with 
a candidate, they are fully confident that they're ready to go into their background. And absolutely. So, um, yeah. Also, Joanna mentioned uh, Carolyn Zavala. She's part of our website too. She does the oral interview prep. Do not miss out on that. If you have trouble with police interviews, yeah. uh, contact Carolyn um, and uh, get a hold of me. I'll, I'll get you in touch with her. But she is outstanding at interview prep. Uh, so with that, uh, another good episode, Minerva and Joanna. Yes, another one. Yeah. Successful. Uh, Joanna, thank you for coming on here and being so transparent. And yes, uh, I think it'll be a big help. And I'm sure if you guys, um, if you've been, um, uh, touched by this episode in, in a way that you think it will help your background, you know, drop me a line. I'd like to let Joanna know. Uh, that mm-hmm. she uh, she went out of her way, you know, to share stuff that's really personal, and um, I think it will help other candidates too in their process. You are not alone, trust me. Um, so with that, thank you. I uh, hope everybody has an outstanding Christmas. This is the final episode of 2022. Yes. We look forward to 2023. Yes, yeah, stay out of trouble. Uh, yes. Guys, uh, you know, don't drink and drive. That will ruin your career. Yeah. (laughs) And don't fight with police. Don't fight with police. Yeah, don't fight with police. All right. Well, thank you guys. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to the Police Applicant Podcast. We are the premier police background prep site in the U.S. and Canada. For more information on scheduling your police background consultation, go to policebackground.net. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes.